So RCC, for the last four weeks, you've been trying to solve this question. What do you do with a Lego mess like that in your house? And as the father of a five-year-old son, I'm here with an answer for you. You sell the house as is, and you throw your son into the deal if that's what it takes to close it. Just kidding, just kidding. If, uh, if you haven't had a chance, I haven't had a chance to meet you. My name's Matt. We're thrilled to have you with us today. Thanks so much for being here. I am really excited to be back to RCC, to be back at Rivertown. It's, uh, so many things have happened. I was here 10 months ago. Man, you guys have been through a lot of changes, a lot of positive changes. You guys have been through a lot of challenges too. And I just want to pause before we get into today to let you know, uh, we've been praying for you. I'm at a little church called Journey Church in a little place called Murray, Kentucky. But we have been praying for you and following along with everything that's been happening. Uh, Mariana, Bluntstown, Chipley, as you guys have been recovering from the hurricane, good grief. I mean, it's, there's just so much stuff you've been dealing with. We have been praying for you through it all. And I just want you to know, we have been so inspired as we have watched you serve your communities in the middle of all this with all the things you've got on your plate. You have just been so generous to your communities to reach out and to serve and to help people recover. So just want you to know we've been praying for you. We've been inspired by you. Uh, everybody at Wakulla, I mean, when I was here 10 months ago, that was just starting to get off the ground, and now you're going as a campus, and a lot of good things happening there. We've been praying for you and so excited for you. And then Fairhope, when I was here 10 months ago, Fairhope was just at the beginning stages of, hey, we may, you know, transition into a campus. And now here you are, you're an official campus, Fairhope. And I've got to say before we go on, I've got to give Fairhope a shout out, because there's a little place in Murray, Kentucky that we love called Murray State University. And if you haven't heard of that before, you've heard of it now because of a guy by the name of Ja Morant. At least if you're, there are no college basketball fans here, I can tell. Y'all are like, Ja who? What's he talking about? Ja Morant's gonna, he's, uh, he's uh, a sophomore at Mercy State University. He's about to go in the top three in the NBA draft. Don't ask me how we got him. That's a story for another day. But he is, everybody's in college basketball has been kind of watching along with him. But here's the thing about Fairhope. We have another freshman who's an extraordinary player, and he's going to be incredible for us over the next few years. His name is Tevin Brown. We love Tevin, and would you believe that Tevin Brown is originally from nowhere else but Fairhope, Alabama? How about that? So, yeah, it's crazy. So, Fairhope, we love you. Thanks for giving us your boy, Tevin. We really appreciate that. But it's been, it's been fun to watch all of these positive things that God's been doing with you. And I just want you to know, we, we've been inspired by that. We've also been praying for you as you've been going through the challenges because collectively, as campuses, uh, this question, now what? I have no doubt it's popped up from time to time. You guys have, are living right in the middle of some now what seasons. And it's not just true collectively. It's true for us personally and individually too, isn't it? Many of us are going through right now what we would call now what stages and seasons or situations in life. And what I think has been incredible as we've gone through the first three weeks of this series, Paul and Gavin have done a phenomenal job of helping us learn how to navigate through these seasons. In the first two weeks, Paul talked from John 15. And I don't want you to miss the significance of this. This is so huge. Paul helped us to understand that we have an invitation. Now think about this. We have an invitation from our Heavenly Father to lean into Him. When we're in the middle of a now what season, to depend on him for our strength, for guidance, for wisdom, for direction, that is just incredible that our Heavenly Father invites us to look to him in those moments. And then last week, if you were here last week, Gavin did a remarkable job helping us to think about the compound effect of consistent change and consistent improvement and consistent growth. 
and how you can find yourself in a now what situation, but you can come out of it better if you make the wise choice and the right choice, if you just admit your weakness and understand there's some steps you need to take and do the next right thing, you can come out of it better. And for a lot of us, that's where we are and that's what we need to hear. Today, I'm gonna talk about something a little different. We're gonna turn a corner and I wanna address this from a different angle. Today, I wanna address it from the angle of what do you do when you're in a now what situation and better is not an option. In other words, you're in a situation right now that there's no turning it around. There's no making improvement. There's no, okay, well, at the end of this, I see how this is all going to work out. If I could ask it this way, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you're in a circumstance and there is no way forward and there is no way out for you? Maybe it's a financial situation where because of some choices that have been made and some things that have happened, it's not that you can't move forward with your life. The thing is, those choices and those consequences are going to follow you wherever you go for the rest of your life, any season of life it is. You just know they're going to be sitting there on the side and they're always going to be a part of your story and they're always going to be a part of your life and you're going to have to navigate with that. What do you do when you find yourself in one of those situations? What do you do when you're in a marriage where they don't want to divorce, you don't want to divorce, but it's just not what you dreamt it was going to be? There have been some things that have happened in the past that cannot be undone. You can't rewind or unwind those decisions. And so you know moving forward, okay, we're going to stay together and hopefully the marriage is going to be good, but it's just never going to be what I expected or intended or dreamt for it to be because this is going to be a part of the story from this point forward. What do you do when you, you're in one of those moments and there's nothing you can do to change that? For some of you, it's a custody situation. And the reality is there's no option to make it better. It is what it is from this point forward. Your kids are going to be dealing with that from this point forward. You're going to be dealing with that from this point forward. You can't rewind or unwind that at this point. So you're going to live the rest of your life having to navigate all of the complexity and challenges that come from a custody situation and sharing kids with an ex. So what do you do when there's nothing you can do there to change it? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's a health situation. You've been diagnosed with something. It's not going to kill you, but they can't cure it. It's just debilitating. Every single morning you wake up and it is a new normal. It's just your new normal. You wake up every day going, I've got to get through this day and deal with that. I've got to accomplish what I need to accomplish. I've got to live the life that I'm trying to live, but I can't ignore this is a part of it. I'm going to have to deal with the challenges of this health issue for the rest of my life, and there is nothing you can do to make it better. So what do you do in those moments? When there's nothing you can do, there's no way forward, there's no way out, and you're going, well, now what? I feel like I was very fortunate, and I'll tell you why. I was very fortunate to grow up as a pastor's kid, and now I'm a pastor myself. And the reason I say I was fortunate is because I feel like most of my life, I've had a front row seat to the behind-the-scenes pain, difficulty, challenges, turmoil that people go through, things that they wouldn't necessarily share with everybody. But because of the seat I was in, because of the nature of what I did, I just got to see behind the curtain, if you will. And so for the majority of my life, here's one of the things I've done. I have watched people in these now what moments make different decisions, and then I've watched what's happened in their lives and how it's turned out. And I got to tell you something. I have noticed a trend. I have noticed that even though there's nothing they can do, there are a group of people who, when they find themselves faced with these now what moments, they make a choice, they make a decision, they choose to believe something that actually provides them a way forward even though there is no way forward and there is no way out. And so for the next few minutes today, I want to introduce to you 
this choice and this idea. But before I do, I want to warn you, this is really, really tough. This is one of those things, just to be honest, I think this is the most disturbing or one of the most disturbing, challenging, difficult truths in all the Christian faith. Matter of fact, it's one of those things, for those of you who aren't Christians and you think Christians are crazy, this will just confirm it, okay? You walk out of here going, I knew it, I knew it, I don't want anything to do with that. I get that. Matter of fact, some of you Christians are going to think this is crazy and you're going to say, there's no way that's true, Matt's got to be wrong, and you'll grab a campus pastor and say, go straighten him out. He's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I get that too. But if you'll just, if you'll just listen to me for the next few minutes, I think you at least ought to be aware of this. You ought to be aware that this is an option. And I'm not going to try to force you to accept this or believe this or choose this. One, because you're not going to listen to me anyway. And two, because I think this is something that every person individually and personally has to come to and choose to embrace on their own. So this is tough, but I think it's important. And I decided to go ahead and share it with you today for one simple reason. I've been watching you guys over the last six months and everything that you've gone through over the last year, really, and all the different changes. And I've decided that Rivertown is the Navy SEALs of churches. So if anybody can handle something tough, it's you guys, okay? So we're just going to dig in and you can do with this what you want to do with this. But I want to introduce you to this idea. And then I want to show you an example from the New Testament of someone who lived this out. And then at the end, we're just going to talk about how this lands practically. I'll give you an opportunity to do something with that, okay? So as I've had a front row seat and I've watched all of these people in their now what moments making choices, I've found the choice of the decision they make in the middle of their pain and their adversity, it makes all the difference in the world. And the people who find a way forward when there's no way forward, this is the choice they make. They choose to receive their adversity as a gift from God. Now, don't misunderstand this. They don't believe God caused their pain or their adversity, but they come to the conclusion that God allowed it. And instead of resisting it, instead of fighting it, instead of being angry or bitter about it, they just decide, you know what? I'm going to actually embrace this pain. I'm going to embrace this adversity. I'm going to embrace this challenge as if it were a gift from my heavenly Father. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I find myself in one of these now what moments, the thing that I find most encouraging is not sitting down with a Christian and having them tell me all the cliches about how God is good and something good is going to come out of this. Like, you know all that, and it's not helpful at all. I'll just be honest. But what is helpful is when you meet somebody or you hear the story of someone who has gone through one of these circumstances, and they've come out on the other side, and they're still saying God is good. And they're still saying their pain was a gift. And so a lot of times what I'll do when I'm in a now what moment is I will just open up the New Testament and I'll begin to read the stories of these first century followers of Jesus because they were no strangers to adversity. And here's what's fun, just so fascinating to me. Not only were they not strangers to adversity, the adversity they went through, the pain that they dealt with, it did not drive them away from God. It led them closer to him. They seemed to, to respond in the exact opposite way most of us respond. The tension so many of us feel, and maybe you felt this way or you know people who have said this, is when something negative happens, is God, where are you? And why aren't you being fair? And if you're such a good God, why wouldn't you change this and fix this? And I don't understand why this is happening to me. And it's like there's a crisis of trust and a crisis of faith. And so many people just walk away from God and give up because of something negative or painful that's happened in their lives. This did not seem to be a tension or a question that these first century followers of Jesus wrestled with at all. They weren't sitting around going, well, how could a good God allow so many bad things to happen to me? No, they just assumed that bad things, even though they happened, did not negate God's presence 
And it didn't change the fact that he was there with them and he was for them. And they just kept choosing, when you read their stories, to embrace their adversity as a gift from their heavenly father. Even though he didn't change it, and even though for many of them it led the persecution to their death. So, I don't think there's a better example of this personally in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. And if you know much about Paul's story... You know, he started out not as a follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was going to end all the people who were followers of Jesus and stop the spread of the message of Jesus until he has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Everything changes. He does a 180. And Paul spends the rest of his life, the Apostle Paul does, going around not just Israel. He said, no, 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 we're not just going to take this message to Jewish people. He took it to the known world, all around the Mediterranean rim. He's starting church after church after church, and he's spreading this message to everyone who would hear it. The Apostle Paul, I would argue, was the most important follower of Jesus in the entire first century. And I think you could argue maybe the most important follower of Jesus in all the 21 centuries since Jesus was on this earth. So you would expect, if there's anyone who wouldn't have to deal with pain and adversity that would debilitate them, it would be the Apostle Paul. I mean, God, you just clear the path. He's, you've got such a big purpose for him. You just make sure he can get done what you want him to get done. And yet the Apostle Paul tells us that he dealt with something that was physical, painful, and permanent. God wouldn't fix it. And if you're thinking, well, that's so unfair. Why would God put something or allow something in Paul's life that's going to keep him from doing what God had called him to do? I'm just telling you. Maybe you should be glad God wasn't fair because we get to look at what the Apostle Paul did and we gain some extraordinary insight into what to do when we're in our own now what moments. So I want to read you what Paul has to say about this, and then we're going to talk about how it lands with us practically. Now, before I read it, I just want to give one caveat. For those of you who were here last week, I'm about to read the exact same passage that Gavin read. That is on purpose, okay? We're not going crazy and losing our minds. So if you're like, that's familiar. Yes, you just heard this last week. But I want us to look at it from a bit of a different angle. I want us to look at it from what can we learn about what we should do when there is nothing that we can do. So, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given. And this word given literally means I was given a great gift. It's the kind of word Paul would have used if he would have come down the stairs on Christmas morning and found some extraordinary gift under the tree for him. Paul would have used this kind of word. It connotates the idea of, oh my goodness, I was given this extraordinary gift, to which we all go, okay, Apostle Paul, what gift could be so extraordinary it gets you this excited? And here's what he says. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. To which we're all now confused. Why in the world, Apostle Paul, would you say you were given some great gift and then describe it as a thorn in your flesh? Literally, that means Paul is going, I had a constant irritating problem that tormented me, that beat me up, that kept striking me with its fist. I had this extraordinary gift of an irritating problem a painful problem, a humiliating problem that just beat me down. I was so glad for it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. And scholars have tried to figure out what this gift was and nobody, or this this thorn was, and nobody knows for sure. Some people think it was epilepsy, that Paul suffered from epilepsy and seizures. Some people think it was the vision problems he had. Some people think it was depression. I don't know. I just know if I'd been through a tenth of what Paul had gone through, I would have been depressed, no doubt about it. it. It really doesn't matter. The point is, It was painful, it was humiliating, and it was debilitating. It was so bad that Paul describes it here as a messenger of Satan. I don't know if he meant it hurts like the devil or Satan caused it. It really doesn't matter. 
We get the picture, don't we? This is painful, humiliating, debilitating, and it is permanent. And yet here the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to tell you about this extraordinary gift of pain that I experienced. Come on, why, why in the world would you say that, Paul? Well, the Apostle Paul had a perspective that a lot of us don't have. But he believed this. He believed that his pain was a gift with a purpose. He believed this pain I'm going through is not for nothing. And he actually gives us a glimpse into part of that purpose because he says, I was given this extraordinary gift so that I wouldn't be conceited. This was the Apostle Paul's way of saying, I understand that I have been given a platform and influence to make an impact far beyond what I deserve. I'm traveling all around the known world telling people about Jesus and spreading this message everywhere. But the Apostle Paul also knew, even though I don't deserve this platform and this influence, the number one danger that I have to getting off track from God's purpose for my life, the number one thing that can derail me from doing what God has called me to do is my pride. And so I'm grateful. This is what he's saying. I'm grateful for this pain. It's a gift that keeps pride from derailing me from the purpose God has given to me. Now, if you're sitting there thinking like I was when I first read this, well, good for you, Paul, but I am not there, that's for sure. You know, I don't have that perspective. I don't think I can even go there. I just want you to know Paul was not a super saint. The Apostle Paul was more like us than you could possibly imagine because when he first began to experience his pain, he responded the exact same way we all would. Look at what he says next. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He didn't just accept it. And these weren't just casual requests. The Apostle Paul saying, there was an entire season of my life where I dealt with this pain and it was so debilitating, so humiliating. I felt like I'm not going to be able to move forward. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I asked and I asked and I asked. And God did nothing, and God said nothing. And then there was a second season where I just didn't think I could go on another day. And I prayed and I prayed and I asked and I asked, and God did nothing. And God said nothing. Some of you can relate to that. Some of you are living in that tension right now. And you don't know why God won't answer your prayer. You don't know why God has just gone silent. Then the Apostle Paul says there is a third season, and this became so painful, so humiliating, so debilitating, I decided there's no way forward. There's no way out. I don't think I can take another step. I don't think I can do this another day. So I prayed and I prayed, and the Apostle Paul says God finally answered my prayer, but he did not answer it the way I expected. Here's what the Apostle Paul says God told him that third time. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God looked at the Apostle Paul and he said, I'm not going to remove it, but I will see you through it. I'm not going to remove it. You want me to remove it. I understand that. I'm not going to remove it. You're going to live with this pain for the rest of your life. It is permanent. It is humiliating. It's debilitating. I get all that. You're just going to have to live with it. I'm not going to remove it, but I will see you through it because my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. See, the Apostle Paul understood something in this moment that he carried with him for the rest of his life. 
He understood that his pain was a gift with a promise. Not just a purpose, but it was a gift with a promise. And that promise was the Apostle Paul knew every time he hit the wall, every time he got to the end of what he could do, every time he was going, I can't take another step. I've got to be over there. I can't be over there. I've been called to do that. I can't do that. I'm supposed to live that way. I I don't feel like I've got, got it in me to do it. The Apostle Paul knew in that moment, I've got a promise. God's going to step in. His grace is sufficient to cover my gap. His power, it's going to complete what I can't do on my own. Now, if you're the Apostle Paul, what do you do with that? What Paul says he chooses to do is so surprising to me. It's the exact opposite of what would have come naturally or you know, what I instinctively would have done. Here's what Paul says he did with that. He says, therefore, because of this purpose and promise, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not going to do what most people would do. I'm not going to try to hide or deny this this weakness I have. I'm not going to be embarrassed by this pain. I'm not going to try to keep this uh, under the rug or behind the curtain and so people can't see and they can't know. He said, nope, anytime people want to know, what's going on with you? Why are you struggling? Because clearly this was evident to them. The Apostle Paul said, I'm just going to open up the curtain and I'm going to let them see my weakness. I'm going to explain to them. I'm going to brag about my pain. Why would you do that, Paul? Here's why. Because the Apostle Paul knew if they didn't see that, they would look at everything that was happening in and through Paul's life and they would go, wow, isn't Paul incredible? But if he pulled back the curtain and let them see his weakness, they wouldn't be patting the Apostle Paul on the back anymore. They would be saying, we see the gap between what you're capable of doing, what you're able to do, and what you're supposed to be doing, and what's actually taking place. And that's not you, Apostle Paul. That is God's grace and strength and power at work through you. They won't pat the Apostle Paul on the back anymore. They'll see Jesus at work in and through Paul. That's why he made that choice. Now, here's why that's so important for you and for me. Because you can't experience Jesus' ability until you embrace your inability. In other words, you're never going to know that God's grace is sufficient until you acknowledge that you're insufficient. You're never going to know that God's power can be complete in your weakness until you acknowledge you have weaknesses. You're never going to know that that grace and that power can complete the gap between what you're able to do and what you know you should do. You're never going to know that unless you acknowledge there's a gap. But the minute you acknowledge you're weak, the minute you acknowledge you're insufficient, the minute you acknowledge, I can't do this on my own, you have just opened the door and invited your Heavenly Father to come in and to flood your life with His grace and with His power. So, what do you do with that? If you believe that God can, if you believe God can heal your marriage, heal that health situation, you believe God can fix that relationship, you believe God can bring your kids back and, you know, put all the pieces of the family back together, you believe God can, you know, redeem or restore or fix all the stuff that's creating the pain in your life. If you believe God can do all of that, but God's not, 
If you're praying and praying and praying and God's not doing anything and God's not saying anything, what do you do with that? I think you do what the first century followers of Jesus did. I just want you to know, again, I wouldn't force you to accept this or embrace this, but I just think you need to know it's an option. That you can make a choice to do something even when there's nothing you can do. You can choose to believe your pain can be a gift with a purpose and a promise. Now, you may not know what that purpose is today. You may not have the perspective and be able to connect the dots and see that, what that purpose is for a long time. You may not even know your purpose until you step into the other side of eternity. That purpose you may not experience till someday. But listen, that promise you can experience this day. You can live this day experiencing a grace that's sufficient. You can live today in the middle of your pain, experiencing God's power, making complete your weakness. You can experience that today. And then you can get up tomorrow and experience it again, and the day after and experience it again, because his grace and power are always sufficient. They never run out. So for you, and again, I wouldn't force you to do this. You've got to come to this on your own. But maybe, just maybe, if you're in the middle of a now what moment, what you need to do is you need to choose to embrace your pain as a gift with a purpose and a promise. Not that you, you, know, you pray, and God, I hope you remove it, and God, I hope you, I hope you, I hope you. It's fine. It's fine to pray that. But you're not going to resist, and you're not going to fight, and you're not going to become bitter if he doesn't. You're just going to embrace it as a gift. Again, that's up to you whether you do that. But here's what I know. I could introduce you to person after person after person after person after person who would tell you, as a matter of fact, some of you here today, you would say this because you've lived this out far better than me. I could introduce you to person after person who would look at you and say, here's what I went through. And then they would say this. You've heard people say this. They would say, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I wouldn't change it for anything. You ever heard somebody say that? And you thought, you've got to be kidding me. Because you know what they've gone through. You know the pain they're experiencing. You're going, oh, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense. I'm confused. You're telling me you wouldn't change that for anything. If you could hit the unwind, rewind button, you wouldn't do it. If you could get a fresh start, if you could get a do-over, if you could just snap your fingers and that one thing went away, you wouldn't remove that pain? And they go, no. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I wouldn't change it for anything. You know why they say that? If you start digging around and asking them, here's what they tell you. They tell you, I wouldn't change it for anything because there is no way I would have ever known God's grace was this sufficient unless I had become this insufficient. There's no way I would have ever experienced God's power this complete in my life if I hadn't been this weak. So absolutely, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. I hope nobody has to go through what I've gone through. But I wouldn't change this for anything because I have come to experience some things from my Heavenly Father I just couldn't have experienced and learned some things I just couldn't have learned any other way. And I'm a different person, and I'm a better person with a deeper faith. Now, before we wrap up, there's some of you who the whole time I've been talking, you've been arguing with me in your head, and I get that. And part of the reason you've been arguing with me in your head, for some of you, is you grew up being taught, or you grew up in a church that taught, and it's not your fault, but you were taught, okay, here's the thing, all you have to do is have faith. 
And if you have enough faith, then God will answer whatever prayer you're asking, and he'll change whatever it is you want him to change. And so you've been arguing with me in your head the whole time going, I don't know who this guy is, but he doesn't have enough faith, clearly, because all you have to do is have more faith, and then God will answer that prayer. So he's totally wrong. Okay, I get that. I understand where you're coming from. It's not your fault. That's what you've been taught. But as kindly and politely as I know how to tell you, you're wrong. You're real wrong about that, okay? That's how we do that in Kentucky. You're real wrong. So, again, it's not your fault. But let me explain to you why you're wrong. You're wrong partly because when you read the stories of the first century followers of Jesus, that was not their experience. They had more faith, confidence, and trust in God than we do. And yet God didn't remove all their pain. He didn't change all their circumstances. Many of them died martyrs' deaths. But let's get more personal. That's just not true because your Savior, my Savior, the night of his arrest, you remember this? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knows the pain that he's about to endure. He knows what's coming down the road for him. He knows what's right around the curb, and so he is praying. And do you remember what he prayed? He says this, Father, if you are willing. In other words, this was Jesus' way of saying, I have no doubt that you're able, God. Your power, you got plenty of power to do this. I'm not worried about whether you're able to change what I'm about to go through. I'm actually not sure that you're willing to change it, God. Think about that. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Because this is way bigger than a thorn, Paul. This is a whole cup of pain. But Jesus knew this. Think about this. Jesus knew this was a cup with a purpose. That he was going to provide forgiveness for all mankind. He knew this was a cup with a promise. Three days later, he was going to have the power to walk back out of that tomb. But he also knows the pain is so great, if it could be removed, he would love for it to be removed. And so he's in this now what moment, and he's praying. And it's the last thing he says that makes all the difference. Listen to how he ends his prayer. Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's what surrender looks like. Surrender is going, God, I wish you could change this. I hope you'll change this. I want you to change this. But even if you don't, I'm going to embrace this adversity as a gift with a purpose and a promise. Now, if you have experienced the forgiveness of God in your life, aren't you glad that your heavenly Father did not answer Jesus' prayer that night? We wouldn't be here if he had. And I think in a small way, just a small way, but I think in a small way, anytime you find yourself in a now what moment and you choose to embrace your pain and your adversity as a gift with a purpose and a promise, I think in a really small way, you share in the sufferings of Jesus. I think that's part of why this is so transformational for people when they do this. And so it's up to you what you do with this. I can't force you to do it. I wouldn't if I could. But here's what I want to do as we wrap up. I want to invite you to do one of two things. In just a minute, at all of our campuses, the band's going to come when I'm finished. They're going to do one final song. I, you don't have to sing this song. I just want to encourage you to sit there and to reflect during the song, okay? And for some of you, you're right now in the middle of a now what moment. You're sitting there going, what do I do? There's nothing I can do. I, there's no way forward. There's no way out. What do I do? Here's what I want to encourage you to do during this song. Would you take these next few moments to be as honest with God as you have ever been? about the frustration, the anger, the hurt, 
the pain, the bitterness, all those emotions that well up inside of you when you hear somebody like me talk about this, all the frustration because you're praying and praying and praying and God's not saying or doing anything, would you just tell him all that? He can handle it. He's, he already knows. Just go ahead and tell him. But then when you're done with that, I want to invite you to consider doing one more thing. Just opening up your hands and saying, this pain, God, I don't even know if I can do this well, but this pain, I'm going to do my best. Would you help me embrace this pain as a gift and believe there's a purpose and believe your promise with it? It just might be your way forward when there seems to be no way forward. Now, for others of us, you're not in the middle of one of these now what moments right now. But I bet you know somebody who is. So here's what I want to ask you to do during this last song. Would you take a moment, whoever God brings to your mind, would you take a moment and pray for that person? That they will come to personally understand that God's grace is sufficient for them. His power is made complete in their weakness. And then I want to ask you to do one other thing. Before the song ends, before you leave today, would you just pull out your phone? You can get permission. You can do this right in the middle of the song. Would you just pull out your phone and would you text that person? And say, hey, I was at Rivertown today at church. I heard this. It made me think about you. And I just wanted you to know I'm sitting here praying for you. You have no idea how God might use that to encourage somebody. You have no idea how God might use that to remind someone that he's there and his grace is sufficient for them. Because it really is true. Whatever you're going through, his grace is sufficient. His power is made complete in your weakness and in my weakness, and we really can embrace our pain and adversity as a gift because it comes with a purpose and it always comes with a promise. Would you pray with me? Father, this is so difficult. It's so difficult for those who are in the middle of these frustrating, painful, humiliating, debilitating, challenging circumstances. There's so many emotions that come with it. There's so much anger and confusion, just don't understand where you are and why you're not doing things and don't understand why we've got to endure this. God, would you, would you help those who are in the middle of these moments right now, one, to know that you're with them, to be reminded that you are for them? And would you give them the courage to be able to embrace their pain as a gift? And Father, for all of us, would you help us to choose to believe that we can rest in the promise of your grace? That we can boast, we're not going to boast in the power of our own name and our own strength. We're going to boast in the power of your name because in our weakness, we are made strong. And our hope to carry on, it is found in you. So help us to lean hard into you for that. And thank you for your promise and your presence with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.